0: but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast, where we sometimes veer off the serial killer path to delve into other topics within our beloved true crime community. Special thanks to my patrons who voted for this episode. Thank you so much. You are truly appreciated. And for anyone else... Please feel free to join my patrons so that you can vote on who will be covered next or get early access to the podcasts. Like, share, and subscribe. It might just help our little community grow. Today's podcast was voted for by patrons and will be on a personal favorite figure of mine from history, Vlad the Impaler. Also, this story is from over 600 years ago, and it has some twists and turns, but stick with me. It's quite interesting. And also, I know how some of you love disclaimers. There are a lot of names in this story that I'm 100% I'm sure I'm not going to pronounce correctly, so be nice, okay? So Vlad was a very real person named Vlad Dracul III, who lived during the 1400s. Now, Living during this time, Vlad was known by a few different names, such as Vlad Tepes, Vlad Dracula and Vlad the Impaler, to name a few. He was the second son born to his parents. So Vlad's father was Vlad Dracul II, or Vlad the Dragon, believed to be born in 1387. Vlad II was the illegitimate son of Mircea I of Wallachia. So a bit about Vlad's grandfather, Mircea I. When he was the ruler of Wallachia, It was considered a time of moderate peace and stability for that area as the borders of Wallachia, due to the Ottoman Empire's constant encroachment, were ever changing. When Mircea was ruler, the country was the biggest it had ever been. While he reigned, he took it upon himself to reorganize the country's government and high officials, He promoted economic development, increased the country's revenue, and even minted silver coins as currency that the whole country and even some neighboring ones accepted as legal tender. Mircea allowed merchants from Poland and Lithuania to cross over into Wallachia to sell their wares. In turn, the country was doing pretty good financially, and he used this surplus of funds to build up the country's military force because those goddamn Ottomans, you know. He paid to have the Danube citadels fortified and strengthened the great army, which was made up of mostly townspeople and of free and dependent peasants. He also proved to be a great supporter for the church. He also negotiated strong alliances with other government powers. And he maintained friendly relations with the king of Hungary. According to the site Military History, in 1394, Vlad's grandfather finally won a fierce battle and threw the Ottomans out of the country. He actually had to fight long and hard to try to retain the borders and he ruled Wallachia for 32 years. Mircea had Vlad's father, Vlad II, outside of his marriage with another woman. It was said that he spent his youth in the court of the King of Hungary at that time. The king would honor Vlad II by making him a member of the Order of the Dragon in 1431. So the Order of the Dragon was comparatively like an order of sort of elite knights, right, that were only for very specific high aristocracies and monarchs fashioned after the military orders of the crusades to join the order of the dragon one had to defend the cross and fight the enemies of christianity it was a big deal then so he became known as vlad ii dracul and the king of hungary recognized vlad ii as the voivode of wallachia or basically the leader once vlad's father no longer ruled wallachia is now part of romania for reference and for Vlad the second life was good for a while. He did have to fight his half-brother a bit, and really this family's infighting is the literal stuff of legends, but once he was the recognized voivode, all was good. But then the king of Hungary that had worked well with our Vlad's father and grandfather had died. Pop's Vlad was forced to try to make peace with the Ottoman Empire. He swore fealty to the Ottoman ruler and promised to pay a yearly tax, so to speak, that would keep the peace, but would be put into the Ottoman military. Pops Vlad then unfortunately helped the Ottomans invade Hungary when the dust settled. He did try to get the two to work together to keep some level of calm between them, some level of balance, but it was a very delicate situation that most would have failed at, and even then the ruler of transylvania demanded pops vlad to help them by joining them and fighting against the ottomans i'm telling you the goddamn ottomans so papa vlad married eupraxia the daughter of alexander I of moldavia she was not his first wife but she's the one we are concerned with together they had their first son mircha ii then vlad the third which is our vlad and then Radu the Handsome, as he was known. Our Vlad was thought to have been born in kind of plus or minus a year, around 1430. At the time of Vlad's birth, his family was fairly well off, and he would have had servants and, you know, all of that. His father was busy guarding the Carpathian mountain passes from Transylvania to Wallachia. Vlad took on the last name of Dracul, the Order of the Dragon, just as his father had. But... As if it weren't painfully obvious, it is important to know that our Vlad was born into a time where there was a lot of blood and war surrounding his homeland. In 1436, when his father was ruling Wallachia and when Vlad was approximately 5 years old, he was sent to Targoviste, which was the capital of Wallachia at the time, to be educated and taught how to be a knight and possible future leader during his time away it was said that his mother either died or otherwise disappeared which would have been a devastating blow back in that time because the children were nearly completely with their mothers for the first 10 years of their lives in his society and he would have been close on some level with his mother so this brings us up to when his father was captured by the ottoman army in 1442 Vlad would have been approximately 11 years old. To try to negotiate with the Ottoman Sultan, his father traded Vlad and Radu to the Sultan, and in return, his father would be released and would show support of the Ottoman policies and Turkish interests. Now, it was said that Radu won considerable favor with the Sultan, but really no real harm came to either of the boys during their captivity. Then, their father had somehow been convinced that his sons had been murdered and Papa Vlad turned his allegiance to the King of Poland and Hungary against the Turks during the Crusade of Varna in 1444. In 1447, as Hungary invaded Wallachia, Vlad's father and the oldest brother were killed in battle. The king then put one of Vlad's cousins on the throne. Now, Vlad and Radu were finally released in 1448, so Vlad was about 17 years old. But Radu chose to stay with the Turks, and one must know that Vlad and Radu had never really been close. The source material was quite plain about that. Now, when Vlad got back to Wallachia, he discovered that his father had been murdered and his older brother had been tortured brutally by having his eyes gouged by hot pokers and then buried alive by some of the noblemen from that area who supported the Turkish rule. Vlad had absolutely regarded his older brother as his hero, and this would have been very traumatic. The fight between the Christian-ruled Europe and the Muslim-ruled Turks would now begin to escalate. Vlad Dracul, after living a life that revolved around war and bloodshed, was becoming the merciless and bone-chilling leader he has become famous for. And that's all we have for his childhood, but let's explore some ideas. Come with me. Most of us have heard of the term intergenerational trauma. This term refers to the idea that our ancestors or older relatives who went through a very distressing or oppressive event Their emotional and behavioral reactions could ripple through the generations of your family and affect you. It may stem from personal trauma, such as child or domestic abuse, or from trauma that a specific cultural, racial, or ethnic group endured. It's been tied to major events like wars, slavery, the Holocaust, and colonial violence against Native Americans. It might even result from natural disasters like a flood, earthquake, or, say, a pandemic. But researchers are also looking into the possible role of epigenetic changes. The idea is that your environment could cause changes that affect the way your genes work, and these changes could be passed on to younger generations. Epigenetic changes can affect how your body reads a DNA sequence. But they're reversible and don't change DNA sequences like gene mutations do. So what do people with this seem to experience? Well, there's shame, anxiety and guilt, feeling helpless or vulnerable, low self-esteem, depression, higher chances of suicide, high rates of heart disease, substance abuse, relationship troubles, a hard time controlling aggressive feelings, extreme reactions to stress, and even damaged cultural identity or the sense of belonging to a larger group. So it is reasonable to think about the effect or just the constant stress of war. And famine and bloodshed, and having to live in this hypervigilant state where the lives of the people you rule over are in your hands, you know, if you care. It isn't a stretch to see that. Perhaps that left a signature on his family's DNA. Vlad's grandfather had to fight. His father had to fight. And I'm sure his grandfather's father and on back all had to fight. That could very well alter your very DNA. And then we have a highly likely feeling of being abandoned with regards to Vlad's father trading his two youngest sons for his own freedom, leaving them helpless and completely dependent upon the enemy for survival when you are a young child. Now, could Pop's Vlad have been absolutely torn with his decision and had some strategic plan in place that would get the children back quickly or whatever? Sure. I mean, we'd like to think so but I doubt Vlad was mature enough to understand that kind of complex forward thinking. Most likely, he felt that his father had abandoned him with the enemy. People who have experienced abandonment might be more likely to have long-term mental health disorders, such as anxiety, depression, codependency, attachment anxiety, and borderline personality disorder other long-term consequences affect future generations of those who experienced abandonment as a child a recent study published in biological psychiatry cognitive neuroscience and neuroimaging found that the offspring of the abandoned and neglected inherit brain abnormalities that show up as functional disconnectivity between the amygdala and medial prefrontal regions of the children's brains shortly after birth and as I always say, when you are messing with the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, among other areas, the outcome can be seriously bad. And let's not forget, right, the obvious favoritism his father showed for his oldest brother and disregard for himself and his younger brother. the II was Papa Vlad's favorite and his first-born son who would someday take over his rule. When Vlad's father was captured. He bargained away his two next sons, which would have equaled one firstborn son, to get his freedom. I can't imagine knowing you were just a spare prince of sorts and how that would have felt to young Vlad. Needless to say, this is a pretty strong recipe for a lot of anger, resentment, and feeling of vengeance. So let's continue. Now, with the murder of his father and older brother, Vlad decided that he would fight for kingdom and country to get his people's region back and to also punish the invaders who were constantly warring in his region. Vengeance would be his. And in all honesty, there were times when he was not successful, even having to fight against his younger brother, Radu, who had sided with and was fighting for the freaking Ottomans. But around 1456, when Vlad was 25 years old, he was finally able to take his lands back from the Turks. It was also during these bloody battles when he would use the goriest, most extreme tactics to ensure his continued reign. And keep in mind, during these times, it was already extremely bloody and violent and had been for generations Vlad Dracul, once he was able to successfully regain power for his country against the Turks, the word spread very quickly of just what he had done to his enemies. Constantinople had fallen. Thousands of people were executed. So Vlad, who was now in power, started his reign of terror with the eldermen who had murdered his father and older brother. Oh, and the torture they endured was just the beginning he invited them to a grand banquet he had them stabbed with spikes the spikes were then set upward while the bodies were slowly sliding down still twitching vlad then invited turkish leaders to come and try to work out a sort of peace when asked to do so out of respect the turks refused to remove their turbans stating it was against their religious beliefs so Vlad made sure they would never again be able to remove their turbans by having them nailed to their skulls. And again, this was just the beginning. Vlad Dracul had whole armies of his enemies impaled on long stakes. The final number estimated at around 20,000 people, then gathered their blood into a chalice and allegedly drank from it in front of the people who would doubt him. He also dipped bread into the blood and ate it while they watched in horror. He would then have the doubters marched up the Arjesh River to use as slave labor to build his fortress. The survivors were then later impaled, and the sight of the fields, guys the fields of decomposing impaled corpses was so disturbing that it was written that many Turkish armies turned and ran in terror at the sight of them. It was often referred to as the forest of the dead. Oh, and Vlad also had his enemies water poisoned and he sent diseased people into enemy territory to infect them, biological warfare at its finest. Vlad Dracul used other forms of torture too. He would bury people in the ground up to their waist, then shoot arrows at them. He would also have fire pits dug, then put wooden planks across the hole. He would then wedge his enemies' necks between the boards, head down, and let their heads roast. He thought up these twisted, yet effective techniques to make sure the Turks understood he would do exactly whatever it took to keep them out. Needless to say, Vlad was not screwing around. And so he had been successful where nearly every other principality in the region had been bitterly defeated. He completely terrified his enemies and they spoke of his evil and disturbing acts but his allies talked of his absolute bravery and his need to defend his homelands, maintain law and order as well as avenge the murders of his family and I want to reiterate that Vlad often had to fight against his own brother Radu who had become a traitor to his own people and joined the Turks. Vlad also held merchants accountable for economic bribery, and because of this, his people absolutely benefited. But he was also less than sympathetic to his own people who appeared too lazy to contribute to the benefit of the country. Everyone worked hard for the betterment of everyone, or else. On one occasion, he invited a group of such people to dine with him in a great hall. He fed them, he entertained them then locked them in the great hall and set the building on fire. Then he announced, as they were all screaming in agony, that those people would no longer be a burden to the rest of his people who worked and earned their living. I mean that anyone, be it nobleman, monk, priest, or regular citizen that lied or was a thief, was executed, and being rich would absolutely not buy your safety." Vlad did not tolerate injustice whatsoever. There does exist a wood carving that describes Vlad. Quote Here begins a very cruel, frightening story about a wild, bloodthirsty man, Prince Dracula. How he impaled people and roasted them and boiled their heads in a kettle and skinned people and hacked them to pieces like cabbage. He also roasted the children of mothers and they had to eat the children themselves. And many other horrible things are written in this tract and in the land he ruled. End quote. So the leaders of the neighboring countries heard the stories of his crazy bloodlust and were, of course, concerned. The Ottoman sultan actually ordered Vlad to appear before him and personally pay homage to the Turks. He sent some of his people to get Vlad, who promptly captured all of them and had them impaled. Nice try, sultan. Or as I always say in these circumstances, nice try, Bundy. However, such as any great rise to power, it was not to last. Eventually, the Turks were able to fight back, trying to give Radu the throne in Wallachia and thus forcing Vlad to have to retreat and take refuge in the Carpathian Mountains. His wife at the time, who had bore him a son, climbed to the tallest tower and jumped to her death to the river below, rather than being taken prisoner. And that is the scene we see in the movie Bram Stoker's Dracula. Vlad himself retreated to Transylvania to seek asylum in 1462 with the king of Hungary. But the king had him imprisoned, where he remained for 14 years. When he was released, he was about 44 years old in 1475. Now, Radu became the ruler of Wallachia while Vlad was captured. However, Radu died in 1475, the same year Vlad was released and Vlad's people put him right back in power. It is believed that Radu was murdered by another political power, but not by Vlad. Vlad was again voivode of Wallachia again after this, and again, stories of his cruelty spread all the way into Germany and Italy. He fought against the Turks in Bosnia in 1476. Here is a quote from Vlad's actual writings, I have killed peasants, men and women, old and young, where the Danube flows into the sea, up to Rehova, We killed twenty-three thousand eight hundred eighty-four Turks without counting those whom we burned in homes or the Turks whose heads were cut by our soldiers. Vlad sent his first letter as the repeat voivode of Wallachia to the burghers of Brasov, where he promised to protect them in case of an Ottoman invasion of Transylvania but he also wanted their assistance if the Ottomans occupied Wallachia. In the same letter, he stated that, quote, "...when a man or a prince is strong and powerful, he can make peace as he wants to. But when he is weak, a stronger one will come and do what he wants to him." End quote, showing his authoritarian personality. So between two wives, Vlad had five children, but only one took over his father's crusade, Minya he was just as brutal as his father but he was not on the throne for long all of his direct and indirect descendants were officially dead by the end of the 1600s it is believed that elizabeth bathory is distantly related to vlad being that her family was hungarian transylvania etc of noble royalty and so on so the memes of them getting together gross honestly Then less than a year after Vlad had written the letters asking for assistance against the Ottomans, the goddamn Ottomans, Vlad was marching to battle against them yet again, and he was captured, killed, decapitated, and dismembered, his head taken to the Turkish Sultan as a trophy. Vlad's official resting place is hotly debated. It was said he was buried in a monastery church on the northern edge of the modern city of Bucharest, which would have been the tradition during his life. But it has been discovered that there is no tomb there where it was said to be, leading historians to believe that he might have been buried in a different monastery between Bucharest and the Danube, which is closer to where he was killed. The Pope during that time wrote of Vlad's cruelty in his commentaries, poems were written about him and his unheard of cruelty and justice. One thing remains certain. He is considered a hero in his native lands. The locals stated that his cruelty was necessary to restore order to Wallachia. They say he punished criminals, executed unpatriotic citizens to strengthen his government and give his citizens a sense of patriotism. He was considered a reformer who was desperately trying to protect his people from the Turks and was therefore forced to commit horrible acts of violence in an attempt to scare the Turks away permanently because, as we all know, they were exceedingly difficult to fend off. Sometimes he is depicted as battling not only the Ottoman Empire, but also the Strigoi, or living vampires as opposed to the undead and other evil spirits to protect his people. Vlad Dracul was either in battle, imprisoned, or somewhere in between nearly his entire life, trying to regain his father's seat and control of his native lands. He was heartbroken when his mother died when he was just a child. The value of his life was reduced to a bargaining chip when he was left with the enemy so his father could go free. He also wanted to avenge his beloved older brother's torture and death and held everyone accountable for the betterment of his country. In Romania, his acts are not presented as morbid, senseless violence, but rather a series of rational choices that were meant to strengthen the country and fight against who? Exactly, the goddamn Ottomans. And as such, Romanians love him. Historians love him. He is an absolute legend who is still openly celebrated in his homelands. In a poem written about him, the national poet Mihai Eminescu, I hope I pronounced that right, asks Vlad to come back and separate the, quote, madmen and the thieves from the good, honest folk and burn them. So tell me, guys, what do you think of Vlad's story? I have always found it really fascinating. I just didn't realize that, that the story of Dracula was based on a real person. Well, I found it out in my youth anyway. So, do you think that he was an absolute madman? Do you think that he suffered from intergenerational trauma? Tell me guys, what do you think? Leave me a comment, or you can DM me on Instagram at serial underscore killing, or you can come join the Serial Killing, a podcast fan page that was created by a beloved listener, and we are almost to 500, so the giveaway is nigh. But most importantly, guys, thank you so much for listening, because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me, and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. Uh, anybody who killed more than two or three people was a mass murderer. And whether it was all at one place or over an extended period of time, and then uh, in the early 80s, they came up with this differentiation called serial killing.